Welcome to the Cashflow Legends Podcast with your hosts, Nate, Brandon, and Brock. Remember, our insights are not direct financial advice, so consult with your financial team before making any decisions based on the topics discussed in this show. What's going on, everyone? Uh, Welcome back to another uh, awesome opportunity to talk about how money flows through our life, how to keep more of it. I'm stoked to be here, as always, with uh, Nate and Brock, and uh, we've had a lot of cool things going on in the background. Uh, Nate and Brock and I all got to hang out a couple weeks ago in person in Nashville. That was really exciting, and um, I really feel like I know we all got a lot out of it. I know I did. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, we can bring that in and provide some value. Uh, before we even get started, if you will hit those likes, subscribes, uh, leave us a comment. Uh, any kind of insight really helps if you think this message is valuable, getting it out for everybody else to hear. And remember, you can always email us at cashflowlegends with a Z at gmail.com with any questions as well. So fellas, today we're going to be talking about cultivating wealth and financial mindfulness. So how to, you know, seven key focuses or habits to cultivate wealth through financial mindfulness. And I know we have all been having some really exciting conversations about ways and resources to help people do this, because that sounds great in theory, but what the crap does that mean if you don't know how to put it into action? And I'm really excited about diving into this. So let's first just start with the, the topic of cultivating wealth and financial mindfulness. What does that mean to you guys? Just like if you heard that in the world you live in today and the blessings of what we get to do with being the best job in the world, what does that mean to you guys? To me, Brandon, I don't know if this is what you're asking for, but when I think about cultivating wealth, the first thing that I think about is Mental capital times relationship capital equals equals financial capital. And I think it goes back to the core principle of understanding that money is created through and with value exchange rather than having to have money to create money, right? And so to me, when you say the words cultivate wealth, to me that says, hey, I'm bringing you know, my relationship capital to the table. I'm bringing mental capital to the capital to the table. And with that, when they're paired together, that is ultimately going to cultivate wealth financially in my life and probably those that I'm sharing it with. I like that. Good stuff. And I'm not, I wasn't looking for anything specific that hit the nail on the head. That's, that's exactly where uh, we can definitely go from there. Well, you know, the, the word mindfulness really just um, goes back to the idea of being aware and being present. Um, and so being aware of wealth, of where wealth is created is really important, um, as Brock just mentioned. So, um, understanding that mindfulness really just boils down to being intentional about the right things. Mm-hmm. And so if we can create some, uh, create some habits, uh, in our lives, then we know if we follow or if we create some rules in our lives, if we follow those rules, then we know that we don't have to worry about getting off track necessarily. If we create rules around how we're going to operate with our money, um, if we're going to create rules around our relationship capital, our mental capital, all those things, and how all that fits together, then, like I said, we don't necessarily have to worry if we're moving in the right direction or not. Good stuff. I'll add to that just a little bit. <clears throat> the piece about being mindful, I was having this conversation with my wife yesterday. We're headed to my daughter's um, performance. She's uh, practicing singing. And, uh, you know, I was really excited about going there. But I always go to when my wife is paying attention and open to me sharing what I'm doing in business. Cause I love doing that. And I normally do it with you guys, but every once in a while she'd be like, okay, just nerd out on me for a minute. Let it rip. Tell me what you got going on. So, um, there was something that, uh, Brock, your dad said, in one of our interactions actually yesterday with one of our members and he alluded to kind of what you just said in that equation of, you know, value being created and how it all works together. 
mental capital. And when we know for sure we're mindful of what matters most to us that we want to be most present for, meaning I want to go to my daughter's recital and be able to be present there. But in years past, I've had a hard time doing that because things weren't working the way they should be in the background. So I felt like I had to focus on that continuing to be able to provide for more recitals and more opportunities and more time together. So therefore my brain's here and my body's here. And what we're really talking about is getting them together. Mm -hmm. And I'm so stoked about what we're learning and getting to begin to share on practical ways to do this. So let's hop into a few things. So habit one, how do we set goals and visualize? What does that mean to you guys? What are some practical things you've done? And now you guys know we could, we could take that one thing alone and spend two hours. Mm-hmm. So let's just give the most impactful, practical thing that jumps into your mind about goal setting and visualization is habit one. Yeah. So one of the things I'm looking for a picture that I have somewhere around here, but the premise of this screenshot that I apparently, yep. So this was from Seneca. He's a stoic. Um, but he talks about if a man knows not to which port he sells, no wind is favorable. And I think I said this on the first podcast and whatever it may be, but um, I look at that a lot um, because with goal setting, it is so imperative that we have it within our life, not just financially, but in all aspects of life, because we need somewhere to be shooting for, right? We need somewhere to be striving for, to going for. Um, and if we don't, we're actually falling behind because there's not really anything in this world that's just truly stagnant. I mean, that we talk about stagnant water, but if we really honestly looked at stagnant water, when it stays stagnant, what ends up happening is it changes characteristics of the water. It becomes uh, uh, non-healthy, uh, dirty. It grows life, right? It can evaporate. It can do all these different things. And so, um, what I would say when it comes to goal setting, be very clear on where you see your future self and plan towards that and set your goals towards where you want to go. And something that I read this morning in a book called 10 X is easier than two X is something along the lines of these unrealistic goals are actually way easier than the average goals because average goals tend to be, uh, the most crowded, the um, least amount of excitement, and it becomes complex and time-consuming. Whereas these unrealistic goals, when you set them and you strive for them, it's not crowded. Um, it's uh, The excitement is very large. And when you become clear on it, the path is simple and it, it is non-linear in your growth. So you might as well go ahead and go for those unrealistic goals because you'll more than likely just far surpass the average ones. When you mentioned that uh, quote about from Seneca, it reminded me of something that Jim Rohn said, um, which it's not the, it's not the blowing of the wind. It's the set of the sail. And uh, you know, he says the same wind blows on us all. And it's not about, it's not about the wind. It's about, you know, how we set our sail. And so I, I think, goal setting is an important part of setting ourselves, understanding like what direction we want to be moving in and which goes back to intentionality, like we talked about earlier, but you've got, um, in, in goal setting and everything like that, I think one of the most important and impactful things for me has been not only writing something down, but also telling someone else about it, you know, having some accountability that goes along with that. Um, there's a lot of things that we can hope for and think about and everything like that. But until we write them down, there's not really anything that's, that's, that connects that uh, and makes it tangible until we actually put it on paper. 
And now we've got something that we can look at. And now we've not only do we have something we can look at, we have something we can, we can share with someone else um, that's going to help us and kind of propel us forward and make sure that we stay on track and things like that. I was talking about a story the other day that I'd heard before years ago. <clears throat> so if you do, if you're listening to this or watching and you go, that sounds like a bunch of hokey stuff. I don't believe in verbalizing what I want to do or visualizing it. I'm going to ask this genuine question because I've been there. How is what you're doing right now working for you? If you're pleased with it and it's creating the results you want, like I heard one person say once, if you're happy doing what you're doing, we're happy for you. That's great. You've already figured it all out. That's wonderful. But I heard this story about a well-known ball player getting interviewed in the 80s before about two weeks before they could potentially be in the World Series. He was a starter. And he made this comment in this interview that basically said, man, I'll be excited when we get there, if we get there. I just hope I'm not the one that causes an issue or causes us to lose. Okay. That person in that interview, you can go look it up, was a man by the name of Bill Buckner who let a ground ball, routine ground ball, go through his legs, I believe, in the 1986 World Series against the Mets, that whether it was what lost them the World Series or not, it is the play known as what lost them the World Series. Our words matter. Our goals matter. How we set the sales matter. And this is what the practical piece of that means. Brock's sales, my sales, and Nate's sales, and how we set them may not have the same angle or exact goal that's okay as long as we know why that is the setting that we want and here's the beauty of the life we live and the wind blows on them all is we get to choose if we want to reset them we get to adjust if it's taking us off course but you have to be around people and a mindsets that believe that that's a powerful piece or you'll just keep doing what you were always doing and getting what you were always getting, which is by definition insanity, which I am guilty of doing. All right. So we could dive into that real deep. Let's jump into another. Let's see if we can really get through the seven practical things we're trying to talk about here. So we hit goal setting, visual, visual, visualization. I'll spit that out. What about a habit of proactive financial education? What does that mean to you, Brock? I'm thinking of a story you told us when we had dinner. I'm going to ask your permission to tell it. And if you don't want me to share the number, I won't. But it was pretty impactful to me. But go ahead. I'm not sure what story you're talking about, so you can share it. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. I don't know if it, I'm going to be driving that bus or I'm going to be thrown under that bus. No, you're not thrown under. It was a powerful story, but you go first. Um, when, when I think about... I'll call it deliberate financial education. It, it is baffling to me what most people won't do when it comes to financial education. Mm -hmm. The financial education that is they will receive is TikTok. They heard it on a whim from somebody else, one little snippet, but they've never actually taken the time to set aside and be like, this is how that math actually works. This is how a calculator works. This is what happens when you put $1 in and how it comes out on the back end. You set the time aside to actually put in the work or find somebody that's going to put in the work and you listen to them diligently and they're speaking directly to you, not through a radio station, not saying your name, but somebody who is sitting across the table from you, talking directly to you, at you, with you about how the numbers work, how finances work, that is where real change is going to happen because once you learn something, your perspective is going to be able to be changed. You're going to see things in a new light and you're going to be able to make better decisions. I think being proactive um, really boils down to being willing to be uncomfortable and being willing to learn. Um, and usually those things go hand in hand when we're, when we're willing to learn something new, sometimes that's going to make us uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, I can look back on our journey and everything that has led us to where we are right now. And it was because we were willing to learn something new. It was because we were willing to get uncomfortable. Um, like even, even to where we are right now, like 
when you start a podcast day one, you're not just feeling like you're in your own skin day one, you know, it takes, it takes some time. Like when we show up day one, we know that we are willing to be uncomfortable in that moment. Um, but that's what is going to stretch us. And that's, what's going to allow us to continue to grow in what we're doing. I'm going to connect the first action point to two quick stories. So I'm beginning to get total clarity on, I am meant to connect people to allow their strengths to align. There's almost nothing right now in my life that fills my cup more outside of my walk with Jesus Christ and my family. Okay. Like I love it. So client calls and said, Hey, I'm having this problem. I think about who I know and I make that connection. And like, I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. I love doing that. That is a potential of capital creation, like Brock alluded to earlier on, that has nothing to do with me doing anything other than just connecting people. Genuinely going, hey, this person could probably help you. Here you go. All right. So the story is this on the proactive financial education. And Nate mentioned getting uncomfortable. The level of how much you want to grow will be synonymous with the level of how uncomfortable you're willing to get and how fast and how often you're willing to do it. That is not some quirky thing that is proven. Go research anybody you want to that's successful and you will find that theme in their life over and over and over again. It is not how lucky they got. It is how often they were willing to get back up and fell again, get back up and fell again, get back up and fell again. And they, almost embraced the habit of learning from failure, which is really powerful. So Nate alluded to getting uncomfortable. So I'll tell a story on us real quick. In 2023, we got comfortable doing what we've been doing, which will not get you to the next place you want to go. There's a book out there called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. So alluding to Brock's example of you're amazed at how many people will just take a microwave mentality opportunity to learn a snippet that's a half truth at best with no background of why and build their entire thought process on it because it's comfortable and requires no failure. And that's why people get taken advantage of. I'm, I've been taken advantage of for it. It is a theme that if it's going to make the most impact, it is going to require an amount of commitment that is beyond what you're used to. So here's the story with Brock. Brock's sitting down, we're having supper, and he's telling us about a coaching event he just went to from one of his um, programs he's involved in. He went with his dad. There are seven, eight figures. My dad went with me. That's right. That's right. My bad. <laughs> his dad went with him. <laughs> That's important. If you do, why? We'll go to that another day. His dad went with him. He invited his dad along. And it was baffling to me in a great way that these most successful business owners, entrepreneurs that have had seven and eight figure exits from businesses and money as will never be a concern in their life again, were so willing to admit they knew little about what we do. Many of them. Now, I don't want to share the amount of money you spent unless you give me permission to do so, but I think it's important. Brock paid an amount of money that would baffle most people. It would have baffled me five years ago. But what I now know is you pay for things one of two ways. You pay for it through experience and, and heartache and struggle which may take 5, 10, 15 years, and you may not make it through it to reflect back on how you can learn from it. Are you paid to be in rooms like that and learn from those other people's struggles? And so if I were to practically give a piece of advice for anybody, a practical piece of advice, it would be look at your expenses right now, today, and classify them between entertainment and growth growth in faith, family, fitness, or finance, any of those areas that you say matter to you the most, and see what percentage is going where. And I would argue confidently, if you will just change 10% of that to something that can impact your life in those four Fs beneficially, 
and reduce it, the entertainment side by 10%, you will not recognize the person you see if you take action a year from now. I'm confident of it. Not even if it will happen. And you will become an anomaly to everybody around you who has not been willing to do that. And you'll start realizing that not fitting in is the kind of fitting in you want to do. You know, all right, I'm, to, off, I'm off my soapbox. Go ahead, Nate. No, no. Well, just to, to, to fit in with what you just said, you know, we're coming up on the first of the year right now. So anybody who's listening, I would challenge them right now to take out a piece of paper and write down today I am blank, but a year from now I will be blank. Mm, that's good. And see what that year looks like. You know, just have that in front of you where you got some clear direction on where you're wanting to go. That's good. All right. Have it three. Strategic budgeting. I'm so stoked because I just worked on something with Brock yesterday. It's got me so fired up. Strategic budgeting and spending. I'm not even going to go into it. Talk to some habits and let's go from there. All right. So... If we get to it, remind me to talk about the story of, of the um, spaceship and how it gets to the moon or outer space. All right. Uh, but right now, when we talk about, I I actually don't like the word budget because it doesn't work. You can say all you want, but when you actually look at the math in real world, you lose the money that you thought you were saving. So, um, what I like to think through is mindful cash management. Okay. Mm. How do we be mind mindful about our cash management so the habit here what you need to understand is there's really three movements of money right there's inflows that's all money that's coming into your world through uh, your income from your job maybe from interest income from your portfolios maybe some rental income dividend income whatever it may be those are inflows <clears throat> second you have what's called outflows all money that is leaving your world and probably never coming back where you hope for it comes back groceries rent um car payments that type of stuff you uh, then between those two you ultimately created a difference okay of this free cash flow we have the third movement of money which is called capital flows and that's what we send to assets of what we like to call cash flow engines that produce more inflows but these inflows are taxed more efficiently than your paycheck which is always taxed at the highest interest rate okay, or tax rate. When you put in the right systems and um, procedures in place, what most people live in today is a world of unconscious consumption while trying to manually save every single time they get paid. Right? You get all your income comes into your checking account. And then if there's any money left over, then you'll move it over to your savings. But what tends to happen is life happens. And you end up pulling money out of your savings, putting it in your checking, and you unconsciously, um, you unconsciously, the word I'm looking for is like support yourself in the fact that, oh, well, I'm going to get paid again next month, so I'll just replenish what I just took. This is what we call the financial treadmill. You're just constantly going back and forth between your checking account and your savings account. But if you, be, you can be a little bit more strategic about – where your money goes first, you can create a system, whether it's with us or with somebody else, that you put yourself in optimal control and you're saving first. And you now are in a position of consciously spending and unconsciously and organically saving. Does that That's help good. answer the question there, Brandon? Yes, and I would, sure. I would sure. say, this just hit me as we're sitting here talking, us seeing you draw that out at some point because we have all this fancy ability to do so would be a great opportunity to just kind of talk about what it really looks like and how that works together. Uh, but we'll keep going. All right, Nate, any thoughts on that? Just briefly. Um, so in my experience, um, especially thinking through uh, like a couple's situation, if someone loves the word budget, the other person hates the word budget. Typically that's usually how it goes. <laughs> so so if someone loves the word budget, 
that means that there is some tension that is being created in in the relationship because of that and the one thing that i, I really love about what we're learning right now and, and brock touched on it is this idea of being intentional and unintentional and how we're operating with our money um not being unintentional being very intentional about what we're doing and how we're operating um there's some great tools and software out there that can get you moving in the right direction where you don't get hung up on this word budget because um, typically and brock said it what tends to happen when we set a budget and our budget gets blown now we're robbing from one area to pay for the area that we blew the budget on so we're not really being effective in what we're trying to accomplish to begin with you know we're just moving money around and I would, I'll add to that. So some of the studies that we've actually seen and done is the reason that we as human beings don't or go outside of our budget is because of that unconscious factor of the money is sitting there in our, our checking account, in our savings account, in the same place, and we can see it. And as long as our income is deposited in the same account that our expenses come out of, They'll always run in parallel with each other. And what you'll notice is that if you only had a certain amount of money that shows up in your bank account every month, whether it's twice a month, once a month, four times a month, I don't, I don't really care, whatever is comfortable with you, your mind will somehow figure out how to spend that number. 100%. So I would, I would, if we can create a scenario for people on how do you deposit the same amount every month, and you would spend that amount, then that creates a, a much larger wealth uh, opportunity on the other side of what we're saving. Yeah, so in that vein of habits, so there's the most well-known book about habits is Atomic Habits written by James Clear. And he talks about, there was something that really jumped out at me. I think it was from that book where he basically says, if you depend on man, to do the most important things that could be done automatically. That's going to create a really good result or a really bad result, depending on what is occurring that needs to occur. What I mean by that is, is that we get to see human behavior every day in our own life and other people's lives. And there are certain things that if you can set them up to happen unconsciously for your greatest benefit, the impact is hard to fathom. Now that stack has occurred. And the next habits that can occur. Okay, now this unconscious savings is occurring in a way that I feel really, really good about. And I just went through this process yesterday with Brock, so it's very fresh on my brain. Now, you're talking about somebody who has consumed himself with the B word of budgeting, keeping more cash flow. And in less than an hour, my mind was flipped inside out for how clear it made it. Because it simplified the things that are often complicated and money flows, like Brock alluded to, the three flows of money, okay? And I now know how to be sure to get off of that treadmill. It's all going to be consciously my choice and how unconscious I make the things that are going to benefit me and my family the most, okay? So next part, financial check-ins. And I feel like this is a perfect thing for what we're really excited about offering to people we already work with and the impact of it. And I'm going to say this to lead it off. There's this traditional thinking in the financial world that, and, and I'm just going to prove it with a thought. Ask yourself if you have a financial advisor, how often you typically meet with them. Most people will tell you it's once a year, maybe. I'm not saying everybody, the wealthier you get, a lot of times that changes some. Okay. So not a knock on financial advisors. But check-ins, no matter what we're doing, have huge impact because it allows us to determine if our sales are set at all, if they've been set in the proper direction and selling that way as efficiently as possible. If there's been choppy waters, what are some ways to reduce the choppiness of the water if possible so we can get where we're going? Or do we need to stop and put the sales down? Let's recollect ourselves and then go again. All right. So y'all talk about the importance of financial check-ins. Talk about how we're looking at doing it now. Talk about the impact in your own life, whatever you think will be most valuable for people watching and listening. 
Yeah, so I think with financial check-ins, you should have multiple versions, right? You should have them with yourself. You should have them with your spouse if you have one. Um, and then you should have them with your team of advisors. So with my uh, clients and with y'all's members, um, I believe, you know, it would be good to either meet on a quarterly basis or a semi-annual basis, right? That way you're constantly checking in with each other and creating calibrated decisions throughout the year rather than making decisions on our own and then once a year maybe catching up and figuring out, oh, do we do it correctly, right? And, uh, you know, there's if people wanted it, they can reach out to us and shoot us an email. I have a, uh, uh, I believe it's one page, of a list of questions that, you know, one of the KPIs when it comes to working with me is in the first six months, I would hope that you and your spouse uh, have a biweekly meeting on your finances. And I've listened to that You said KPI. Tell everybody what that means because most people probably have not heard that before. Yep. KPI is a key performance indicator. Yep. Right. So I have five of those when you work with me in the first six months, I hope to hit those five uh, KPIs. And if they wanted, they could reach out to us and I can give them uh, our document of the questions that I wrote out uh, for people to walk through with their spouse or even themselves. Uh, as far as <clears throat> I think um, when it comes to check-ins and everything like that, um, one of the things that I've seen in our business is unless we are intentional about setting up those check-ins and things like that, there's a very low percentage of people that are going to utilize us throughout the year. Um, be, I, and I think a lot of it really has to do with they value our time and they don't realize that we want to be available to them to help them. Um, so we have clients who reach out to us throughout the year for reviews and, you know, things like that. But it's a, it's a low percentage of people who actually reach out to us. And it's really important. Like when you are on your financial journey that you are being intentional about setting up those meetings, setting up those times where, Hey, if we've, we've gotten off track a little bit, let's, let's reset some things. Let's, you know, make sure we're moving in the right direction or maybe life, has changed. Maybe your income's gone up substantially and you're not being intentional about what you're doing with that excess income now. Um, but if the goal is financial freedom and everything like that, then we've got to be intentional about what we do with that money. And it doesn't just get absorbed into the money that we're spending. Yep. I love that thought process on, it is very interesting. I think, I think it goes back to very early on when Brock said he's amazed at how many people will not invest, paraphrased, a lot of time in learning what they think they know about something new. They'll just take snippets. And one of the things that um, I know we pride ourselves on that is becoming impactful in our own lives and our own businesses, so we're living what we're teaching, is that this is less about selling anything and more about teaching you the rules of the game and how it can benefit you or how it isn't benefiting you. So when you have financial check-ins, it's like in a football game, you make quarterly or halftime adjustments. You know, if you got your teeth kicked in the first half, you're able to get some clarity. The coaches come together after being in the press box and on the side of the field, and they let each other know what they've been seeing. They talk to the players, and they go, okay, this is how we're going to adjust. And the teams that win the most often aren't just great at winning the whole game, they're really, really great at making halftime adjustments because they recognize that as a key piece of an opportunity to adjust what hasn't been working that they thought would because things do change. I get a raise at work. I got a kid that needs braces. We're going to take a family vacation to Europe that we weren't planning on that now is a priority. I got a reduction in my income because I'm working less hours because we have a child. You know, all these things are going to be a part of life. That's not something we can ever fully control. The real question is how can we recalibrate to continue to be heading in the path we want? Because here's the thing that we all see the most. If I had a dollar for every time somebody says, I wish I would have understood and known this five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 
it'd be a lot of dollars. Okay. A lot. But here's the other piece. If you ask somebody who says that, how many times have you had quarterly or semi-annually check-ins with the people that are in and on your team? One, they often don't have a team. And two, they don't have check-ins. So one degree of variance in the wrong direction over 5, 10, 15, 20 years can put you in stink in another country when you were trying to go to Florida. You know, and it's really, that's how all decisions are, or lack of habits. So now that we've kind of talked about some habits there on really allowing those three flows to benefit us with our own eyes to see how it works, let's talk about that word investment or prioritizing investments. You know, how does that fit into the picture of habits? That's a good question. So first, you need to begin getting very clear on what type <laughs> of investments that you think that you would do well with, right? So I recently learned that I don't actually love single family rental houses. Like, I think they're very cool. I love them. I own them. However, going to closings, working with mortgage brokers, dealing with HOA fees, like I, that is, that drains my energy rather than build it up. Right. But Same. then on the other hand, you know, my team just closed on an RV park last week that fired me up. I don't have to work with the bankers. I don't have to work with anybody. I just have to make sure that uh, our eyes are dotted and our T's are crossed and people are, you know, being communicated with. That's where I am energized, not dealing with HOAs and, in even my property manager, because I'm not the property manager, but even when you have a property manager, you still have to deal with some stuff. So I'd get very clear on, Hey, what are the things that give me energy? What are the things that drain me of my energy? If, if it comes to the stock market, if you are putting majority of your money in the stock market, but yet you come to find out that every hour you're checking your phone to see what the stocks are doing, you probably shouldn't be investing in the stock market or you need to go get some help, right? <laughs> like this, this mastermind that you alluded to not too long ago was, you know, we have one of the uh, greatest investors of all time. They were speaking up on stage and the dude, two guys over from me was sitting on his phone, looking at the stock market the entire time, trying to figure out what was going on. And to me, I'm like, dude, you can't even be where your feet are due to the fact that you don't know your investor DNA and you're freaking out about what the market was doing. So I would say be, get very clear on those things of what gives you energy, what drains you, where do you find joy in investing? Because investing can be fun. But remember, nobody has to be invested at all times. There's a misconception about um, <clears throat> investing for people who are just automatically contributing to their 401k, where they think they're an investor when really they're they're just kind of speculating and just hoping for the best. Um, and when I think about investments, I think about being intentional outside of what you're doing with your employer, as far as different ways that you can grow, because the things that we can do outside of contributing to a qualified plan is now we've got some control, which will also give us some certainty in what we want to accomplish. Um, and if all you're doing, if you're, if you're investing is, oh yeah, I contribute to my 401k. Well, you're not really an investor. You're just speculating. Like I said, just hoping for whatever may come from that. Um, so in order for us to really call it a habit of investing, then we've got to get outside of just contributing to a qualified plan and hoping that that's going to be there one day when we need it. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's what I think about when, when it comes to, uh, the habit of investing is getting outside of something that most would just consider something mindless that they don't have to think about. We actually were working with someone not long ago and, and asked, Hey, what would be the reason why you would want to do something different? And he said, well, the only reason I can think of is what I'm doing right now is mindless. I don't have to think about it. So if I do something different now, I have to think about it. Um, but if 
the intentional act of thinking creates a, a better opportunity for you financially, then why wouldn't you want to think about it? Why wouldn't you want to actually explore something outside of that? So <clears throat> typically speaking, there's two types of incomes. I've got Brandon Gosvick over here who used to be a middle school principal before he did what he does now. And he got an income from his employer. And what this Brandon Gosvick knows is that that income takes the most pressure from things that I can't fully control, the government taxing my dollar, okay? And then I got this Brandon Gosvick over here who knows that the more income I can create semi-passively with investing in myself and with learning and being around people way smarter than me who've failed and who've willing to share, I can take pressure off of that income over there to allow me to have the capability of being more present at all times. Okay. Because the minute that passive income, once we know our DNA of how we like to invest, which can change, once we have clarity on what we want to do and why we want to do it and how we can do it without guessing or hoping or wishing, the minute that that W2 income is slowly but surely replaced by passive things or at least the expenses to live that life over there, I now have more freedom to control my time, which means that I can be better at the W2 job I have because I'm not thinking I have to work there to provide value to create income. And it also means that I get to keep more of my income if I know the rules of the game with taxes from the passive side that fit my investor DNA once I've invested in myself and I prioritize knowing that value is created with how we pour into ourselves first. So it's important to remember that I would say this, and I'm going to say this boldly because I've lived it. I'm not making this up. 99% of the advice out there is crap. And let me tell you how to vet it. You get in rooms with people who are living the life and can show you what they've done, how they failed. They're humble enough to go, look, I tried it that way. It didn't work for me. And this is why. Here's how all the calculations work together. If you're a numbers person, here's how the math works. You decide if you like the decisions you're making and the value is creating for your life. Or if you want to change or redirect that process, this is how you can do it. Now you're in the driver's seat. Now you're not hoping someone else's strategy is going to work. It's your strategy. You, I, I, I said this the other day. I was talking to a cousin of mine who has two beautiful girls and they have their third on the way. They don't know if it's a boy or a girl. I said, he said, what would you give me as far as advice? He's a good friend of mine also. I said, run away from any parent who tells you that they know unequivocally this is how you should parent your kids. Other than if it goes away, for, if it's in the Bible, that's where I'd start. But beyond that, if somebody tells you this is what you should do unequivocally, run away. Because they don't know all the moving pieces. They don't know where your kids live. They don't know your spouse's background. They don't know all these things that are going to affect how your kids grow up. So now that we've talked about investments, mindful risk management. All right, we got two more habits to kind of think through and Let's uh, maybe keep it at one key impactful point. Let's talk about mindfulness in regard to risk management. Risk management, when it comes to investing, have rules around why you're investing and what you're investing in. Invest in what you know and understand. Invest where you can get a high degree of control and don't chase rates of return. Yeah, uh, just going back to what Brock said, understanding your investor DNA, understanding um, what's going to bring you the most peace and what's going to stress you out the most. Because when it comes to investing, if you're investing in things that are stressing you out, then there is a diminishing return on that investment because now you're spending mental capital on that. Um, and the story Brock told earlier, that guy was not being present like he was, in, he was in a room that could completely change his life. And he was worried about what the stock market was doing. So when you're having to spend mental, mental capital on an investment that, you know, now you're stressed out about or something like that, you're going to miss the moments that are the most impactful and important for you. This is something that I, unfortunately, I'm learning the hard way. 
that could have its own whole episode. When you do something well once or twice with no systems in place and it goes well, it gives you a false bravado that you can do it bigger the next time. And sometimes bigger creates bigger problems. Okay. So I'm going to say it this way that just ties into what they just said. Back to that failure piece. All right. How fast are you willing to fail? If I could have gotten into a room with somebody who had done these things and I would have spent 10 grand to learn from them or 20 grand and they had 30 years of experience, they would have most likely saved me far beyond the amount I invested in that time to get their knowledge of what we're losing now and the mental pull or the mental drag, which cannot be calculated in numbers. It's very hard for the numbers to be calculated when you feel like you're just getting kicked everywhere you turn because you've made a terrible financial decision on chasing rate of return. So I'll say this risk can almost or always, depending on your wiring, be removed from the equation of investment almost to a minimal degree of no risk if you know the rules of the game and get more certainty, which creates more opportunity to thrive in the version of yourself that is best for you and your loved ones to be present where you want to be present. So I'll take three, four, 5% guaranteed in four, five, six things all working together with no risk over going and chasing a 35% rate of return with high risk. So, all right. Something, something to add to that, Brandon. Uh, I'm sure nobody thinks that we're making this up, but oh, yeah. if they were, if uh, they were thinking that we were just making these rules up off the top of my head, one of the things that um, one of my mentors is a guy named Justin Donald who wrote a book called The Lifestyle Investor. And he's always shared with me, when it comes to investing, always bet on the jockey and never the deal. What mm -hmm. he's meaning is, and this is something that I learned from Garrett Gunderson, is majority of the risk and in investment is in the investor, not the investment. And it even showed up today, this morning, I was meeting with another one of my mentors, um, very large investor. He'll probably be a billionaire in five years or less. And one of the biggest things that he was harping on me was the importance of relationship capital and understanding who you're investing with. Because if you don't know who you're investing with and you can't know who the jockey is, you will ultimately more than likely lose in the, in the end. I would 100% agree with that. This uh, lesson that we're learning in a project in Missouri has a lot to do with jockeys and we're responsible. You have to be willing to say, how do we make it our fault so we can learn from it again? Yep. If not, it'll just consume you. All right. Cultivating gratitude and generosity to tie this all up in a bow. I'm going to start. I heard something the other day that I believe unequivocally is true. Nate and I have spent a lot of time um, really focusing on this to propel us into 2024 and habits. We, Nate and I, believe that it is all our makers anyway. He's given us the skill set and the ability to do these things, and it's our responsibility to be a good steward of it. But when you start building an intentional life that focuses on giving and thinking of others via value, you will be amazed at how the law of reciprocity through all of those things that God gave you the ability to be great at continue to flow through opportunities like us three guys sitting here on the podcast. We couldn't have made this up two years ago. You know, if you'd have told us that our backgrounds and they'd get connected to do a podcast, we'd be like, no way, you know? So you have to look for those opportunities and uh, people that you want to, you know, get connected to. Yep. Gratitude. I won't say much on it, but I'm a full-time believer in it, um, especially if you read the book, The Gap in the Gang. But it has been scientifically proven that the um, strongest human uh, lubricant to the brain in longevity is gratitude. That's good. That's real good. Makes sense. I mean, when you, th when you think about you can be having a terrible day, and if you were to stop and recognize in that moment, hey, I'm having a terrible day, what are three things that I'm grateful for right now? Like your day can change very quickly. And it's not that your day changes, it's that you change. You know, it makes us better. Just like you said, like the, the idea 
of I can allow something to wash over me in a moment that completely changes my outlook on, on how the rest of the day is going to go. Like that's, that's extremely powerful. And, um, you know, one simple habit that you could form is at the end of the day, Hey, write down three things you're grateful for. And maybe one thing that, uh, you wish you could do over maybe, you know, because we want to recognize the things that we're grateful for. We also want to recognize that we're not perfect and that maybe we could have handled a relationship or an interaction or something like that a little bit different. And when we recognize those do over moments, now we can be better tomorrow. That's true. So practical steps to, to really think through this. If you are someone listening that has no, uh, consistent process that you follow to evaluate where your heart is, where your mind is, where you want to provide value. I would just start by simply saying, do what Nate said earlier uh, that we talked about writing down, you know, something that you want to be better at and how could you do that? And then the other would be the practical advice of going through all your expenses and looking and seeing what percentage is going to your own personal development to provide the value that you want to start creating because when we pour into ourselves internally and we recognize the piece of gratitude and how we can give that to others, that flow starts happening. That creates a lot greater impact. Uh, other than that, if you feel like, Hey, I've got a decent rhythm of that, but I really want to take it to the next level of being sure my cells are set in the right direction and I'm letting the wind take me the way that it needs to take me for my goals find somebody you can really work with that can help you show that so you can get clarity on if you're headed in the right direction, how to get there efficiently. And if you're not, how to get on that path to get there efficiently. And you know why or how you will or won't do what you want to do. So now you start taking control of where you're selling, which is a key piece. So guys, lots of great stuff today. Appreciate your insight. We hope it was valuable to everyone listening and watching. Please hit those like, subscribe and shares. It is a, Huge boost to getting this message out there. We've gotten so many messages already that has been so humbling. Um, what we hope to always pass along is our willingness to share lessons through our humility, not to ever appear that we've got it all figured out. We fail daily, and there's so much that we want to learn daily. And we recognize that there's people out there who know way more than we do. So um, we want to uh, have the opportunity to share everything we can. Hope you all have a great rest of your day, and we'll catch you on the next one.